Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. We'll hear now the word of the Lord from Malachi chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we ask that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us to, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ty Davis, and I'm one of the pastors here at Tulare Community Church, and I'm excited about this series that we find ourselves in called Out of His Love as we walk through the book of Malachi during this liturgical season of Lent. Now, as a refresher, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and it basically sums up what the whole Hebrew Bible has been pointing us to. God's people cannot be faithful to the covenant. They failed again and again, 
And here and now, they're given one last chance to make things right as a nation, to turn back to the Lord their God and the God of their ancestors, and they do not. Instead, they show that due to this long period of waiting on the promise of the Messiah, they are beginning to have doubts. And in this book, they are making those doubts heard. And while God is willing to hear those doubts and he is willing to reason with them, he will not overlook their sin. He makes it abundantly clear that he will deal with their sin. But he also makes a promise. He makes a promise that he will not abandon them. He promises to redeem a remnant, a small remaining group, and send a Messiah to fulfill his covenant promises. And this morning... I want to work backwards in chapter 3. I actually want us to start uh, with this promise to redeem this remnant because I think that it's going to help us understand better what it is that God is looking for from his people, what it is Christ was sent to do for his people, and finally, how we should respond here and now in this season of Lent. So let's pick it up in verse 16. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened And heard, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father is compassionate and spares his son who serves him. And you again will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Now, at this point in Israel's history, there was no distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who served God and those who did not. I just got back from a a winter retreat with our high school students uh, up in the mountains. It was awesome. It was beautiful, exactly what Pastor Steve described. And we were sitting there, when we're sitting with a group of students, where every, every student at the table is from Central Valley Christian, all believers. And while we sat in our small group that night, I asked them a question. I said this. Should a Christian stand out? They took a minute, they looked around at each other, and they said, yes. So I asked a follow-up question. Do you stand out on your campus? Did the same thing. They looked at each other. Who's going to be the first to answer? Now you going to be me. And they said, no. So I asked them then, are there any Christians who do stand out on your campus? And every student said yes. And almost in unison, they named the same student. It's crazy. There was something about this one person on campus that set him apart from others. And it was something that everyone else around that table wanted. And when we talked about why it was that these boys didn't stand out, they were honest. They said to stand out is a risk. It's scary to think that I may not be accepted. That I may not be seen as cool. I'm afraid of what it might look like if I don't live into the persona of an athlete or or whatever the crowd is that you associate yourself with. And you know, I don't think this little case study is much different from us as adults today. If you were asked the same questions, would you say that you, as a believer, stand out from the crowd around you? Is there a distinction between those who serve God and those who do not today in our community? During the time of Malachi, there wasn't. But here, God says, soon there will be. 
And the starting point for this distinction stems from this remnant who the Lord says, fear him. When I was a teenager, one night I couldn't sleep. So I got up, I decided I would study the word, and I was led to this phrase, God-fearing, or fear of the Lord. And for some reason, I hadn't heard this phrase used very much in, in church when I was growing up. I didn't hear people talking about fear the Lord. We always talked about the love of God. We always talked about the patience of the Lord. But never how we were to fear him. And this stuck with me for a long time. Do you know that the Bible uses the phrases fear God and fear the Lord more than it uses love God and love the Lord? I think it's because a healthy relationship with the Creator begins with a healthy respect for the Creator. In the season of Lent, we're reminded that we are not gods, that we are not immortal, that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And until that day, we are to fear the Lord our God, our Creator, and serve Him with all of our days. So what does that mean, fear God? And the Bible is not telling us to be afraid of the Lord. How can you be intimately close to someone that you're afraid of, right? Fearing God is not the same as being afraid of God. When you're afraid of something, fight or flight kicks in. That's the body's natural designed response to being afraid. So you either run from it or you fight it. I run from it. Just I'm fast. What did Adam do after the fall in the garden when God came looking for him? He was afraid, so he what? He hid. I like what pastor and author John Bevere says about fearing God. He says, the definition of fearing God is being terrified of being away from God. The definition of fearing God is being terrified of being away from God. See, I feared my parents growing up. I wasn't afraid of them. I feared letting them down. I feared upsetting them. I feared disrespecting them. I feared them because I didn't want to be separated from them relationally or emotionally. Not only does this fear draw us close to God, but Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what do you fear? You're human. We're all human. We're all going to fear. What do you fear? We get a choice. Pastor Steve shared with me this week that Dr. Rainbow, former superintendent at CBC, longtime friend at TCC, once said this, you either fear God or you fear everything else. If we fear losing money or our possessions, we'll obsess over them and become hoarders, worshiping money and assets over everything else. If we fear losing our spouse, then we, we become suspicious of their every action, leading to resentment and a damaged relationship. If you have FOMO, the fear of missing out, some of you guys learned one thing this morning, and it was that, And what we gain through new excitements and new experiences will never outweigh the benefits of a healthy community, real connections, and the peace that comes with commitment. And the list goes on and on. But if you fear God, everything else falls into place. The late great Charles Spurgeon once said, The fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. See, that's the fear of the Lord that we're called to. And God is making a promise here and now to his people. When I return, I am coming for this remnant, those who fear the Lord. We don't see much of this in our culture today. 
And I honestly believe that we don't see it much today for the same reasons that the people gave in Malachi. Verse 14, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Our culture today says the same thing. Why should I go through my day fearing the Lord when I see countless people living lives that profane God and yet they're making money and they are living life to the fullest? They're experiencing all of the pleasures that the world has to offer without any consequence. So why should I fear God? You know, there is a cost to pay to follow Christ. We don't follow Christ to gain the treasures of the world. We actually give up everything in service to the Lord. Luke chapter 14, verse 33 says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. People said, what have I gained by fearing the Lord Almighty? Well, to answer that question, we first need to know what it is that you value. Do you value the things of the world more than the loving relationship offered to you by the Lord? If so, then these people are right. If we value the things of the world more than the relationships of God, then we're no different than the people that they deemed as evil. Verse 6. And now we get to see the grace of God in the face of his doubters. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is a God of the promise. And he's letting them know that it's because of his promise made to the generations before that these descendants aren't destroyed right where they stand today. The people question again and again, how can we return when we've never gone away? And God allows them to question. He allows them to doubt him. And as I was reading through this this week, I thought to myself, you selfish, whiny brats. God should step on you. He should. He should just step on you. That's how I felt. And then God reminded me, you're no different. Do you not wander away from me, from my calling on your life? Do you not mistreat your neighbors? The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer four, teaches us that God's law requires us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And question and answer five asks, Can you live up to it all perfectly? The answer, no. No, you cannot. It says we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. We're no different than the people in this story. And praise the Lord that our God is no different today either. Verse 2 through 4 says that the Lord will refine us like a blazing fire that refines metal. That he will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross or the mineral waste, which is basically just the scum that forms on the surface of molten metal. On Ash Wednesday, Pastor Ryan reminded us of our beginnings. Genesis says that man was made in the image of God, and he looked at his creation and he saw that it was good. 
But it didn't take long for the shadow side of the gift of free will to seep into that new creation and fester. And from that moment, from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, this new creation went from being seen of pure precious metal to a metal that was infected and blemished by sin. Here in Malachi, we're catching the first glimpse of the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. Out of his love and only through his life, death, and resurrection can this stain of sin in our lives be refined away. And I want you guys to notice the posture of Jesus in Malachi as he begins this process. Verse 3 says, he will sit. Sitting is a posture that proves his willingness to be patient with us. He is willing to take as much time as we need to go through this refining process to clean out the dross in our life. Now, Obviously, we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven. But we all know people in our lives who we could say, that person right there, that person has been faithful to God for a long time, but they've also been in that refining process for a long time. We've also known people who it might seem like that refining process was short, that it was immediate, that it was long-lasting. These are the people that we say were born in a pew. Everyone's journey in the faith is different. But the temperature of the fire and the refiner's process is the same for everyone. You know, it's interesting that the Bible mentions silver. A refiner who is working with silver knows that the material is ready when he can look down at that silver molten liquid and see his own reflection. And it begs the question, does our life reflect Jesus? Does our life reflect Jesus? Are we working with the Spirit daily to go through this process with the Lord to keep the purest reflection of the Lord in our lives with us everywhere we go? Our Lord is a refiner, and he is committed to his people, to this process for the long haul. Are we committed to him? Because he's coming back. In the same way the Lord promised his people in Malachi that the Messiah was coming, we know that the Lord will come again, riding on a white horse to judge his people once and for all. This book relates so well to the season of Lent that we find ourselves in. In this season of 40 days, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to remember what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to earth to do at the cross and in defeating death, we are forced to remember this promise in chapter 3, verse 1, that God is sending first a messenger who will prepare the way. In an ancient royal procession, the messenger went out ahead of the king to announce his arrival to the people, to indicate the route, and to remove any obstacles in the road. The messenger that Malachi is referring to was John the Baptist. John the Baptist fulfilled this duty for Jesus. The same idea is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The people of Israel and Malachi were getting to their wits' ends. They were becoming restless as they waited for this promised Savior. And it was as if that you could hear their cries as you read through this short book. When is the Messiah going to show up? 
When's he going to make it better? When's he going to take care of his people? And Malachi made it clear that the way for the Messiah must be prepared, and they weren't ready yet. In the season of Lent, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of what we're waiting for in the return of our Lord and Savior. But we're also given the chance to ask ourselves, have we prepared the way? Are our hearts ready? I love the way that the NLT version puts verse 1. It says that the people looked eagerly for the Messiah. They looked eagerly for the Messiah. And to me, that just proves that we can be actively seeking him and yet still fall short of serving him with our lives in the same way that the people of Israel did. Looking for Jesus is not enough. Knowing who Jesus is and that he is coming back is not enough. So what is? What is? How do we prepare our hearts and minds so that our lives are ready for more than just to receive him when we see him? Brings us back full circle. To know him is to fear him. To fear him is to obey him. To obey him is to be set apart from the world. And to be set apart from the world is to be his remnant. So I ask you, TCC, are you preparing yourself during this season of Lent to be his remnant? Let's pray. Father God, we bless you for the gift of your word. You have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior and Master. We pray for the grace to believe what we we have heard this morning, to receive this good news for ourselves. But Lord, we also pray for boldness to share it with others. And we ask you for opportunities to give you the glory as we strive to live in ways that honor you above all. For it was by your grace alone, Jesus, that we are what we are. Move as you would choose. Do what you will in us. Lord, we fear you with holy, reverent fear, putting you the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.